Hi, my name is Vikram Bhamre, and welcome to episode 22 of this podcast, Exploring Astrophysics. Today I'm joined by Dr. Raisa Estrella, a postdoctoral associate at NASA JPL, who is uncovering the mysteries behind planets outside our solar system. How did you begin your scientific career? Okay, well, that was a long time ago. <laughs> well, I began my scientific career. So I was in Brazil in that time, in a very small city in the northeast of Brazil. That's where I grew up. And in that time, I was interested in two things, ecology and also physics, astronomy. And I didn't know which path to take because I was not uh, very great with math. I would say. So I decided to do ecology in that time. So I started studying ecology because I'm very interested also into the ecosystem and how life interacts and also in climate change. So I studied ecology for almost two years. And during that time, I started contacting uh, the physics department because I was also interested in connection between biology and astronomy because I was interested in both. So there was this field called the astrobiology, which I heard first, first with Carl Sagan. And I was super interested in astrobiology and which astrobiology wants to answer two questions. One is what, are, what is the origin of life? And the other question is how can we find life outside of our planet? So I found that uh, that was the perfect combination for me. And uh, I wanted to find people that were also interested in studying that with me. So I contacted the physics department and they were very welcoming. And they said, oh yeah, we, we, we are trying to find uh, planets outside of the solar system. They are called ex- exoplanets. And there are missions that were designed for that. The COHO mission, that was an European mission that was launched in 2007. And then there was Kepler that was coming during that time. And Kepler, now we know that it, was, it revolutionized the field, right? It discovered thousands of exoplanets. So I said, oh, that sounds very cool. Uh, so I, I started working with them and into this, studying the Kepler and the Coho data as well, finding exoplanets. So I, I was going towards more to the astronomy direction Although I'm, I'm interested in astrobiology, but I was more into the astronomy side of astrobiology. So I changed the course. So I went to do physics and I did four years. It was a four years uh, undergrad of physics. And mm-hmm. then I, yeah, I continued on that. I continued studying exoplanets. Mm-hmm. So would you say that um, exoplanets is your main research interest and uh, in in exoplanets specifically, because you mentioned you you're like interested in the astrobiology science, are you like looking or researching into extraterrestrial life and whether there are you know intelligent life out there? Yeah. So what I do is I study the impact. So I started not looking for biosignatures like signs of life directly, but what I started doing during my PhD was to find what would be the impact of stellar activity uh, into the habitability of exoplanets. So for example, in our sun, we know that there are what we, it's, they are called solar flares, which are magnetic explosions. And these magnetic explosions, they can release a significant amount of um, radiation, especially extreme ultraviolet radiation, X-rays. So, radiation that can be harmful for life. 
And in other systems that are different from our sun, systems that are between all the stars that are very small and dim, they're called M-dwarfs, these systems are very compact. For example, the system that can fit inside of Mercury orbit. So they are, the planets are orbiting very, very close to the host star, to the, to the main star. So what happens is that any effects like flares, any magnetic activity from the star can have a, which are even bigger in, impact on the planets because they are so close to the star. So mm -hmm. these stars, in, this is one of the aspects. The second factor is that these stars, they, we have observations using Kepler and they are also very active. They can have even more powerful flares than our sun. They're called super flares. So these super flares, they can release even more like more significant amount of extreme ultraviolet radiation. We can, it can be completely dangerous for life. And especially depending on what is the atmosphere these planets would have. For example, we know that ozone in our planet, it's uh, the main factor that the ultraviolet radiation doesn't arrive in our surface. So we are protected by the ozone layer. But what if these planets don't have an ozone layer, right? And also these flares, they can modify the composition. They can even uh, break down the ozone molecules. They can, they can even uh, impact the ozone layer. So it's, it's very dangerous. So I studied that in order to know if life would be able to survive into an uh, environment that there are so many flares. So that mm -hmm. was one aspect of my studies. And then nowadays I also stood, I'm also studying the atmospheric composition of exoplanets. Most of the observations that we have today, they are for gaseous planets like Jupiter-like planets. So we don't expect to find life in this kind of planets, of course. But they are, it's basically like we are training ourselves with the technique using these gigantic planets because it's easy to observe them nowadays with the telescopes that we have in order to understand better the technique to apply to smaller planets when we have a telescope that, can, that we can use to observe smaller planets because it's so much difficult to detect the atmosphere in the smaller planets. So we hope that with James Webb telescope that was launched in December, it's already going to start up taking observations. We're gonna be able to look more into these small worlds and mm -hmm. try to look for more like for what we call biosignatures, which are, mole which are molecules that are, um, that are indicative of presence of life, like oxygen or methane. Right, so we hope that with James Webb, because James Webb is gonna look so much more in the near infrared, so you can have access to way more, a uh, larger uh, wavelength range compared to Hubble. I mean, we, nowadays we use Hubble, but we are gonna use James Webb to find mm -hmm. for these uh, biosignatures as well. Mm -hmm. So obviously these uh, exoplanets are quite far away from us and to, to understand the composition of the atmospheres and to find these biosignatures, are you observing them like directly or is it through indirect methods that you're able to understand more about the properties of these planets? Yes, right now we are using direct methods. methods. So basically we, we can't go there. They are so far away, right? They are like 40 light years away. It would take us, it would take the light 40 years to arrive in the system TRAPPIST-1, for example the light and it's impossible to travel in the speed of light. So imagine for us, <laughs> imagine using a Voyager, Voyager, for example. 
So we can use, we can't go there, but we can use the light as our way of bringing information to us, like as a spaceship. Right? So we, we get, we will take the light and we decompose this light. We're using an instrument called spectrograph that mm -hmm. it can, when we decompose the light in different wavelengths, or in other words, in different colors, we can see any formation of what this light interact with. So what happens is that the light from the star, the starlight is gonna pass through the atmosphere of the planet. And if there is an atom or molecule present in that atmosphere, the light is gonna interact with that molecule. So it's gonna be absorbed by the molecule or it can be scattered also by particles like aerosols. So we can see this interaction. And when, and this interaction happens in very specific wavelengths. So for example, if there is an absorption by water, so the, if there is water there in the atmosphere and the water absorbs the starlights, we are gonna see that absorption happen exactly at 1.4 microns. So it's a very specific wavelength. So when we decompose the light of the star using Hubble, so when we look at that very specific wavelength, we are gonna see if there is absorption, we're gonna see that absorption. So it's an indirect method. We are not really looking to the atmosphere of the planet, but we are taking the light of the star that arrives in the telescope. We decompose that light and we look for any interaction that that light did with molecules or atoms in the atmosphere of the planet. So mm -hmm. that means that it, this is not that, that what I want to say is that this light that comes from the star, not all this light is gonna pass through the atmosphere, it's just part of the starlight that's gonna pass through the atmosphere of the planet. So if this atmosphere is very compressed, like it's a very heavy atmosphere, like our atmosphere, like full of nitrogen and heavy molecules, this atmosphere is more difficult to detect. But if you have atmosphere full of uh, very light elements like hydrogen, this is a more puffy atmosphere like the gaseous planet. So you have way more volume to collect starlight. So it's easy to detect this kind of atmosphere like in gaseous planets. While in small planets, we expect more uh, atmosphere like our planet. So that would be mm -hmm. more difficult. You mentioned like the atmospheres of the exoplanets that were looking for things like oxygen and methane in the atmosphere. What are the sort of compositions that that you think are required or that we, we know are necessary for life to, to be able to be there? Yeah, right now we look for signs of life as we know it, right? Because we don't know, it would be difficult to start looking for something that we have no idea, another chemistry. So we yeah. look for signs of the chemistry that we know. So if it's of, uh, oxygen, it's because we are looking for signs of photosynthesis that uh, creates this oxygen. So we would need to look for an atmosphere, a planet that has photosynthesis happening and that uh, this photosynthesis um, is accumulating oxygen in the atmosphere. So that is extremely difficult and dangerous because it means that uh, we would, we don't know actually if, it, if I mean, it could be that uh, this photosynthesis only happen in our planet. We have no idea if it happened in another, in other, another worlds. And most of the worlds that we're gonna be observing uh, with James Webb, these planets, they are uh, orbiting all the stars that are not similar to our sun. So they're called M-dwarfs. And these M-dwarfs, they're meeting mostly in the infrared. So it's very different from our sun that's emitting mostly in the visible. 
So what happens is that maybe the chemistry there is going to be completely different. We are starting looking for oxygen, like photosynthesis, but maybe that's that's not the case. Uh, and the oxygen, it's a difficult biosignature because one, we would need to have very like a huge amount of oxygen to confirm that is a biosignature. Like we would need life to have accumulated that oxygen in the atmosphere of the planet. Another biosignature that would be more easier to detect with James Webb is methane, because we have many bands of methane in the near infrared that could be observed with James Webb. And it's easier than uh, detecting uh, oxygen. And uh, methane, we would need also uh, less transits. So transits is when the planet passes in front of the starlight or in front of the star. It's blocking the stellar disk. That's when we can see this propagation of the starlight through the atmosphere of the planet to use this technique called transit. Uh, so we would need uh, less transit to get a detection of methane. And methane can be abiotic as well. But uh, if you have sufficient methane in the atmosphere, a large amount of methane, that is an indicative that's more due to life than not. Because mm -hmm. methane doesn't last long in the atmosphere. It needs uh, something replacing methane in the atmosphere mm -hmm. constantly. So if you mm -hmm. need, a, if you have a lot of methane, then okay, that must be life. Mm -hmm. And sorry, you asked me about if you're, uh, yeah, if it's in the, in the correct method or if we were directly looking to exoplanets, there is another mission that's gonna come and uh, it's called Nancy Grace Roman, if I'm saying that correctly, the telescope. Mm -hmm. And this mission is uh, exactly to look into, to make direct image of exoplanets. So it's not gonna use the transit technique, which is the passage of the planet in front of the star in uh, with reference to to our point of view. But uh, there, there, this other mission is gonna take image direct of exoplanets. So we're gonna have like a picture of the system. And um, this mission is gonna be looking to the reflected light of the exoplanet. So it's basically, we put a coronagraph in front of the star and we can, we, so you can block any starlight and you can see the light that comes from the planets itself. So you can make an image of the planets, which is gonna be pretty cool. Yeah, that does sound really interesting. Just going back to these uh, M dwarfs um, and the fact that, so the planets, the exoplanets that orbit them are gonna be much closer to the stars. So apart from the solar flares, having like quite a lot of radiation on the planet, what other sort of differences are there between those kinds of systems and then the one we're living in, like our solar system? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other difference, uh, the star itself, because the m doves they are very, they are smaller than the sun and they are dimmer than the sun. And another fact is that they live much longer than our sun. So that mm -hmm. is a positive, I uh, would say, uh, factor because as they live much longer than the sun, they can live up to the age of the universe. <laughs> so they can mm -hmm. live, uh, they can give enough time for, for example, civilization to develop, you know, and be way more advanced than us if they don't kill themselves before, like we're trying to. <laughs> but they can live way longer than they can, mm -hmm. their civilization would have time enough to, to develop, which is pretty interesting. And um, so I said that, yeah, they can be, uh, we see, for example, with the system TRAPPIST-1, TRAPPIST-1 is an MDORF, 
and it was observed. It's one of the favorite system for looking for for life because there are mm -hmm. seven planets orbiting this star, Trappist one, and three of them are in the, in the habitable zone, which is the region where you can have liquid water. These planets have temperature that's it's enough to have liquid water, and um, so this this is star Trappist one. It was observed by the K two mission. And it was observed that it, it, this star has a lot of flares. And the frequency of flare is like 0.3 flare per day. So it's a very uh, flaring star. And the, the strongest flare was like, uh, I don't know, like 10, 10 or 100 times more powerful than the sun. It was way more powerful than the sun. Mm -hmm. So it shows that the systems can, the stars can be way more active than our sun which could have a significant effect on the habitability of these planets as well. So they have this super flares, something that we don't see in our sun. We don't, we don't even know if our sun had these super flares in the past. So mm -hmm. yeah, so these are, it's a very like interesting systems that we don't know very much because we don't live around IMDAF. Uh, we live around the, uh, the sun, which is completely different from these M red dots. And uh, we are still like trying to understand more about them. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's really interesting. Uh, I have a bit of a philosophical question now as my last question. And uh, that is, so do you believe that there is extraterrestrial life out there, intelligent life that we are yet to discover or come into contact with? Yeah, intelligent life, I don't know. Uh, probably, I think it as like, I Kalsega would say it's a waste of space of the universe if there is only us here in this yeah. planet. And if you look like these MDOFs, I forgot to say, they are the most common type of stars in our universe. And they are normally, they, they have, they host our planet and they, they likely host these terrestrial small planets. So there are so many planets out there. And uh, it's like, I would say that chance it's, it increased the chance of having life on them. Uh, about, I would say it, for sure, it might have like microbial life. I, intelligent life is more difficult for sure, or not even intelligent, but more development kind of a species. So, but I would say life for sure, like aerobical life, microorganism, I would say, yeah, even in our solar system, we probably have them. We're still exploring the moons like uh, Titan, Ganymede, uh, but I think that uh, it has like also great chance that we could find even microbial life in our solar system. We are getting closer mm -hmm. and closer. So I think out there for sure, but intelligent life is definitely a more difficult answer to give you. <laughs> but I think it definitely like that we have enough planets, we have so many stars that I believe that Yes, probably the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember reading about like uh, the Drake equation about um, like a probability that there is intelligent life. And I'm hopeful that there is something out there. It would yeah. be a bit of a waste of space with that. Yes, uh, just thinking that it's the, the only problem is that's so difficult to overlap in time with intelligent life. If we take us, for example, our existence is like million years, which is enough comparing to the age of our sun, which is, you know, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's just a very short time scale compared to, for, for ours as a human beings, it seems like a lot, but if you take it into, if we look into the age of the sun, that's nothing. 
so it's it's difficult to overlap in time with all the intelligence lives. Maybe they're gonna still happen. Maybe they already happened in the past. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, great. Thank you uh, for speaking to me. And yeah, this was really interesting. Thank you very much for the uh, for the invitation. <laughs>